following program is a peer-to-peer -peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. Hello, listeners on Saga 960 AM and those listening around the world on streaming and podcast services. This is It's Not Therapy. I'm Leanna Kersner, and I am not a therapist, but I am your source for practical advice for everyday problems using my top 10 sayings for checking in with your best self. Tonight, we're joined by my cat Zelda, so you may hear her at times. Hi, Zelda. And we're talking about staying sane at work. Well, you might be thinking, too late. Hear me out. Work will always be work, but work doesn't have to totally suck. This episode, we'll be talking to Dr. Paul White, a psychologist, author, and speaker. He's got a bunch of books out, including The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace and Rising Above a Toxic Workplace. He'll be here to talk to us about toxic workplaces and what to do if you're in one. But of course, we also have questions. This was a popular subject. If you want to ask a question, you can call and leave a message at 289-275-9600. That's 289-275-9600. Or you can email me. That seems to be the most popular way of getting in touch. Email at liana at nottherapyshow.com or Twitter, Instagram at nottherapyshow. This first question actually came through Twitter. It's from Matthew. He says, the biggest challenge I have at work is, while I work very hard and management appreciates, I feel I have to hide emotional and physical pain at the workplace to not show weakness, especially over small things. Would you suggest anything? Okay, Matthew. This one was a big listen twice before you talk once for me. In fact... I listened, meaning reread your question, about four times before I answered. And I kept focusing in on the words weak and pain. And I have questions. First of all, is that weak feeling coming from your workplace environment or is it coming from past bad experiences? I'm not sure if this is a boundaries thing, a self-compassion thing, Possibly both. We're doing combo top 10 phrases, <laughs> this question. So, you know, is it a question of others not having to like your boundaries or having to respect them? Or is it about self-esteem not being able to exist without compassion? Let's try to tackle both. Self-compassion. Anything that makes you feel weak is not small. You mentioned small things, especially small things. Anything that makes you feel weak is by definition not small. And that's one of those counterintuitive resiliency things. All of resiliency as a life skill is completely counterproductive. That's why I say, top 10 phrase, ignoring negatives is not being positive. Resiliency is all about sweating the small stuff. The best run workplaces are the ones that let employees have those weak moments in moderation. The best employees are also aware that they're going to have weak moments. Every day isn't going to be your best day. Every project isn't going to be your best project, right? We all have those moments. Someone told me once that the thing that makes someone a professional is not your good shows. It's the bad ones because then you get back up and you do it again. There's definitely a certain amount 
that everybody has to suck up at work, a certain amount of discomfort, a certain amount of self-control. But the word pain, that's a strong word, Matthew. And this is where we go back to happy math, the concept I uh, introduced last week. Happy math. Are the dividends you're getting from enduring this pain worth the pain? Examples, pushing through fatigue to deliver on a big assignment. Well, that's different, right? It may be intense, but it's short term. That's not the same thing as constant, barely bearable workplace stress. Constantly being tortured, that's not good happy math. Now, you know, basic checklist. Sleep, diet, exercise, are all those good? You know, if you're talking about physical pain, if you're talking about certain stress, sleep, diet, exercise. But there might also be some other fairly small things that can make your job less miserable. You know, do you have a proper chair? Do you have a properly fitted desk? Maybe you need a different break schedule. This stuff can add up to a much better experience and individual mileage on this stuff varies. Different employees, different jobs, so on and so forth, right? Then I dig down further in my next question. Is this emotional pain connected to specific people or is it just dealing with workplace colleagues in general? I have quite a few uh, personal one-on-one -on -one clients that struggle with this because they're introverted personalities. And so, you know, every social interaction has an element of, you know, psychic static or psychic pain, right? But then there's the stories we tell ourselves about professional and social interactions. And those can make a big difference in how pleasant or painful those interactions are. This is why I say, you know, be the hero of your own story. Set healthy goals that you can control. If someone's a jerk, you can't change that. You can't change what people think about you. You can just conduct yourself as best you can and prepare yourself for exchanges that, you know, you're not going to love. More tips on some of this stuff during the interview and later in the show, but I'll give you an example now as well. Say you have a coworker who's just rude. You know, they're just obnoxious. They may not mean to be it may be something that actually benefits them in their specific role at work, but dealing with them is draining and unpleasant. They could just be loud. They could have a sense of humor that you don't share. You know, you can't change them. You can set goals that hinge only on your behavior. So even if you're irritated in dealing with this person, you can be proud of how you handle dealing with them. I sometimes find it helps to predict how they're going to be rude as something, you know, as a game. So when a particularly obnoxious coworker fills in the antisocial bingo card in your head, it it's fun, right? It's like watching that character on a sitcom, the predictable catchphrases and all. You know, the one that just grates on me on sitcoms is Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory. People think he's funny on that show. 
But if you've ever had to work with a guy like Sheldon, you know they are very much not funny. And what's the difference? Psychological distance, right? The more you can detach yourself from that tough emotional stuff, the easier it is to deal with. Make your workplace interactions internally as much like entertainment as you possibly can. So those individual interactions matter less to your sense of self. You don't have to like the people you work with as long as they do your jobs and aren't getting in the way of you doing yours. It's the inverse of that boundaries thing. You don't have to like your coworkers, but you do have to respect them. This is when I loop back to resiliency and happy math. Dealing with things when they're small is much better happy math than waiting until they're huge, even if you have to do that maintenance more often. It's like a tune-up on your car so you don't, you know, need a $1,200 repair. It's good to get in the habit of relationship tune-ups because that means each encounter in that relationship is lower stakes. These check-ins give you chances to practice communicating in less stressful circumstances. Too many workplaces think about socializing as quote-unquote unproductive time, but in moderation over the long run, a certain amount of socializing makes a team more productive. Think about it. Which would you prefer? Someone gently and casually telling you that it would really help them out if you did something in a different way. That's option one. Or option two, someone exploding on you because they're at their breaking point and this is the first you're hearing about the problem. Almost everyone wants option one, right? I don't know of anybody who wants option two, but, you know, I guess there are some people who are into that. But most people would prefer to hear about something before it becomes a huge problem. So give that to other people. And my last hypothetical, Matthew, is it could be that you're just trying to be a little too perfect at work. If you've listened to the show before, you know how I feel about perfect. Top 10 phrase, perfect is a lie. Stop trying to be perfect, right? You can't be perfect. And try to be perfect will wear you out. There's no such thing as a perfect employee. There's no such thing as a perfect colleague or a perfect boss. You can only do your best. So thanks so much for your question, Matthew. It was a good one. Hopefully something there helped. If you want to ask a question, you can leave a message at 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600, or email, most popular version, liana at nottherapyshow.com, L-I-A-N as in Nancy A at nottherapyshow.com, or nottherapyshow on Twitter and Instagram. It is time for a break when we come back. Dr. Paul White, psychologist, author, and speaker, will join us to talk about toxic workplaces, how to know if you're in one, and how to survive them when we come back on It's Not Therapy. The following program is a peer-to-peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. And it's time once again for the interview. We have another expert this week to talk to us about toxic workplaces and what to do if you find yourself in one. We're here with Dr. Paul 
White. Dr. Paul White is a psychologist, author, and speaker who makes work relationships work. He's the co-author of the best-selling The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. Paul, thanks so much for joining us here. You bet. My pleasure. Thanks um, for having me. Thank, thanks for being here. This is this is a topic that really hits home. Um, the term toxic workplace is thrown around so much that it's a cliche at this right. point. How do you know if you're in a truly toxic workplace versus you know one that's going through a bad time or maybe there's a couple of bad managers? What makes a workplace truly toxic? Yeah, you know, I think a, a nice way to get to it is to think about a, a physically toxic environment where you feel like your health is at risk. It's a dangerous place if you don't take certain precautions and protect yourself. Practically, what it looks like is, um, first of all, most people start losing sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and then that creates uh, secondary problems. Lots of times you'll have some health issues pop up, whether it's headaches, uh, migraines, stomach problems, sciatic nerve kinds of things. Um, and then uh, it sort of moves into affecting your relationships outside of work that you're just, you know, edgy and irritable and uh, sort of snap back at people. And, you know, ultimately you just feel like you, when you go to work, you have to protect yourself um, and you're on, on edge all the time. And so, you know, there's degrees of it for sure. Um, and actually after uh publishing the five language appreciation. As I was speaking about positive things, I had people have people come up and tell me nasty stories about their workplace or what a jerk their boss was. So we wound up doing research and then wrote a book rising above a toxic workplace as well. So um, there's, you know, different components, but it's, it's how it affects you personally. That really is sort of the key. Now, I think a lot of people listening right now are like, what, like protecting yourself at work is what everybody has to do, right? Are you, are you saying that that's not normal to have to be watching your back all the time at work? <laughs> well, uh, there's a difference between uh, normal in the sense of normative. Uh, right. Say, <laughs> and, you know, the way life should be. I, I don't think that's the way healthy workplaces uh go in healthy relationships, but unfortunately, and, and there's a difference between having to sort of protect yourself from an individual or a department or something versus the whole place, mm -hmm. just feeling like mm -hmm. you're at risk no matter where you step. I, I think it's a matter of degree. Yeah, that that thing of seeing people who you have to constantly be on guard against getting promoted <laughs> to be right. that's that's a side. OK, things are not interesting distinction between normal and healthy. I think that's uh, an important message for people to hear now, just because something seems widespread doesn't mean it's good for you. Absolutely. So, yeah, what what are some some signs I gave one of, you know, the toxic people being promoted? That's a sign that the 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 workplace culture is toxic as opposed to a few bad people. What are some other markers? Yeah. So we actually found that there's sort of three main components for a truly toxic workplace. First of all, they have sick systems, meaning that uh, the decision making, the communication, um, even um, the organizational structure, who reports to whom. I recently met with a guy that his assistant reported to somebody else, and uh, she is the aunt of that somebody else. And, right. you know, that's just 
it's not going to work. Right. Um, not holding people accountable um, for goals and, and um, their behaviors. So a sick system is sort of the structural part. Mm -hmm. uh, a second part is that uh, a toxic workplace has some uh, toxic leaders in it and doesn't have to be at the top of the organization. It could be mm -hmm. a supervisor, manager, executive VP. But and a toxic leader is really at the core somebody who's just solely focused on themselves and their goals and will use anything and everybody to get there. And mm -hmm. so people uh, and even situations are just uh, resources to help them attain, attain you know, what they want to get and, and whether it's you know, power or rewards or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the third part are dysfunctional colleagues. Um, people that uh, are characterized by blaming, making excuses. Uh, they're really good at uh, setting up conflicts between other people. Um, mm -hmm. they, they don't follow through on things, on responsibilities. They, they have a sense of entitlement. Uh, they distort information, whether it's out, out lying or they withhold information. So you have these sort of three components. And when you've got all three working together, it's just a, a nasty dangerous place to to be yeah and i imagine there is there is a big element of some things feeding the others i know in every in every instance i i've been in a toxic work environment it's very rare to see two and not the third am i overgeneralizing there uh no i i think they sort of yeah build on each other uh and they can uh, start at any one point. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say you could you could have dysfunctional colleagues without having the other two. That's right. Yes. Uh, yeah. But uh, but they're a challenge nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. The the dysfunctional colleagues you can have one or two people that aren't so great and overcome it. But everyone who's ever worked in a place with toxic leadership, everybody knows what's up, and it's almost like there's a contagion that yeah. spreads people who were great three months ago, all of a sudden start doing things, you know, are out of character. Yeah. Uh, uh, pers personal anecdotes aside, right? Can you do anything besides quit to survive one of these toxic work environments? Is there anything anybody can do other than just, you know, watch the clock and hang on for as long as they can? Yeah, I, I think there are. I mean, uh, and there's sort of some stages. First of all, you do need to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, that especially if there's a toxic leader around, they're they don't care about you, and they're looking for ways to use you to yeah. uh, get where they want to go. And so that means, first of all, you need to do your job. Sometimes in a toxic workplace, you can get sucked into the drama of what's going on and wind up not doing what you're supposed to yeah. be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and along with that, you need to document uh, what you're doing. Um, and that could be through a follow-up email after a meeting, let's say with a toxic person. And you say, I just want to, you know, confirm this is what we agreed I'm supposed to do by this date. And you're going to do that. And that way, uh, and then you say, you know, and if it's different than that, please let me know. Mm -hmm. That way they can't, can't, it can't come back to a sort of he said, she said kind right. of conflict. Um, so take care of yourself. I think it's really important to try to identify uh, a healthy, trusted sounding board, whether that's in the workplace or somebody outside, just because in a toxic workplace, if you think about like breathing toxic fumes, you start to not think clearly, right? Mm -hmm. And you're foggy. And so your judgment gets foggy. It's like, I thought this wasn't 
the right way to do things. That's so okay. true. Yeah. And so you need somebody that is thinking a little more clearly. You can say, hey, what, what do you think about this? And, and get that uh, feedback from them. And then, you know, I, I think uh, we usually cannot change the whole organization. I mean, that's super rare, but you can sort of create a little enclave of protection around you with maybe uh, one or two trusted colleagues where you try to create a bubble of health in your small area. Mm. And that can help uh, at least you survive. It's not necessarily gonna change the big system, but uh, it, it'll help protect you from the, the negative impact from everybody else. So ideal, ideal look for another job, but you can lessen the impacts of the toxic workplace is what I'm hearing. Yeah, and, and looking for another job, but there's a, an important process about that. And that is you need to be thinking about it and laying the groundwork. Yes. Time. You, you do not want to wait until, you know, you've had enough and either you get fired because right. you've got set up or that you've just, you know, you've had it and you quit and now you're in a desperate situation. I've had a, a good mentor of mine said, you know, you you want to avoid being desperate because when we're desperate, we don't make good decisions. Right? And so yeah. the more you can plan out ahead of time and at least lay, you know, have your resume, have know what steps you're going to take if you need to, you know, uh, bring up your, your training on a certain computer system or whatever, do that so that, you know, you're marketable. Right, right, right. Now, in, in my other hat in, in game design, there's been a lot of stuff going on now about workplaces getting caught being toxic and then they they vow to change and there's a lot of people going yeah right these places never change in your experience have you have you seen any workplaces actually get truly better truly reform yeah i i think the skepticism is realistic and reality based yeah I mean, it's like you know it's you know there's a lot of uh, platitudes and commitments that people make verbally and then it you know it sort of gets uh, swept under the table so i think that's a reality based uh, reaction but you know uh, workplaces and people within workplaces can change uh, i would say it takes some different components first of all they need to acknowledge and uh, see that it's not a healthy workplace mm -hmm. and that um, especially when you have toxic leaders um, people can change, uh, but uh, it's sort of like, I live in the Midwest and in our part of the country, we have uh, black walnut trees mm -hmm. and they're really nice trees. They're big, they're shady, they create black walnuts, but they have a toxin both in their roots and their leaves and nothing mm -hmm. can grow around them. Mm -hmm. So they can create a lot of black walnuts, but nothing else. Toxic leaders are sort of like that. They can, sometimes they're very productive in what they do, at least for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but they sort of kill everybody around them, at least emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's this, you know, revolving door. And so really to have a healthy system, you've got to get rid of them. You got to, you got to get the toxic person uh, out so that the system can heal. Because one of the issues, key issues around toxic workplaces is uh, indirect communication that people don't say what they mean. They go yep. through somebody else, they go around and toxic leaders and dysfunctional colleagues sort of uh, major in that kind of uh, communication. So yes. you've got to, you know, uh, at least set them off to the side where they're not impacting the whole system, if not get rid of them. And then secondly is start to uh, commit resources, meaning really time, energy, and some money to uh, building 
relationships uh, between people. Uh, and it's not, you know, we focus on, on the five languages of appreciation. We talk about appreciation being authentic and it's about the person. It's not just about productivity. We're more yeah. than production units, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to build some healthy patterns of communication and rebuild trust. Um, and, and they can, and it happens, but it doesn't usually happen without a change in leadership that it's like, and what's interesting about toxic leaders, they usually know to when to leave before things get bad. Interesting. And they, could, they can jump to another organization and get another big position. And they basically left the other one in shambles. Um, and then there's somebody that has to come in and rebuild it. That's very interesting. Okay, so the leaders move on, but the people who you know, suffered from a toxic workplace also have to eventually move on to something healthier. And right. I've, I've worked with people who are just broken from these toxic workplaces. How does somebody recover from working in one of, of these places so they don't bring those bad experiences into a healthy workplace and you, you know, you, there can there can be a fit issue when someone's been, you know, sure, corporately sure. brutalized in this way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, I mean, that's one of the issues that we deal with with appreciation in the workplace that sometimes people I mean, we talk about authenticity. Some people don't believe you because that's of right. Their past experiences. And um, it's really sort of uh, just over time where they experience uh, a a genuine appreciation for who they are over time and it's about them and it's personal it can take a long time to heal and sometimes uh when you've either been wounded or dealing with a wounded person you just sort of have to uh have some patience and say you know just hang in there and and even i would say have a time frame and say hey if things aren't better in three months i got it you you know but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we need to to change because if you just ask them, you know, hang in there, that, yes, like I heard that before. So, um, but that then taking some positive steps. One of the other hallmarks of a toxic workplace is negativity, that it's yes. just all over the place, right? And we found that really there's two relatively easy steps uh, to combat negativity. One is to not join in, okay? It's <laughs> don't throw more wood on the fire, right? So don't join in and add your negative comments. And sometimes you just excuse yourself, say, hey, I'll catch you all later. Um, and then secondly, if you can, turn the conversation to something positive. It doesn't have to be about that topic. It doesn't have to be about a person and say, hey, man, you, you know, I had a great time this weekend. Or aren't you thankful we're, we got air conditioning versus having to work out in the heat or mm -hmm. whatever? It, it could be just something simple because that's sort of like throwing water on a smoldering fire that it just it helps douse it and it doesn't grow. Right. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and so that over time and then if you can, again, get a partner and say, hey, let's try to make our, you know, our team meetings a little bit more positive, start out with a joke or something. Uh, it's a lot easier to, to gain some momentum when you have more than one person working on it. Yeah, that's that's very true. It What you said, people not believing you, that is 100 percent true. I, the one thing that is so difficult as a manager is when you say, please tell me about problems when they're small so they don't get big and people don't right. believe you, right? right? And so they hide problems and you understand why. I mean, that yeah. negativity is the same way. We uh, Have you found that 
in toxic places people see trying to make a conversation more positive is dodging criticism? I find that's a huge marker these days. Am I wrong? Hmm. Well, it, dep- it, it it can be. And one of the issues that happens in a toxic workplace is, mm-hmm. you know, mistrust. Yes. <laughs> you know? So you mistrust the other pre- person's motives for why there's, why are you doing that? You're trying to yes. get us off of this topic, right? And so it, it's a process. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but you have to sort of just build uh, a sense of genuineness and, and you admit and say, hey, I know you may think I'm just trying to you know, uh, light a fire over here. So we look, but really, I think this is an issue we should talk about or something we can be thankful about, um, believe me or not. And you sort of, you make the covert over. That's sort of a, a, a common thing versus things being hidden under the surface. You just say, hey, I think you guys may not believe that I really think this, but, you know, hopefully over time, you, you'll come to believe that what I say is true. Make the covert overt. I love that. Dr. Paul White, psychologist, author, speaker who makes work relationships work. He's been talking to us about toxic work environments. Paul's the co-author of the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. And I believe you said it was rising above a toxic workplace, Paul. That's your other book. Yeah, correct. Did I get that? Okay, mm-hmm. great. Paul, thank you so much for coming on. It's not therapy and talking to us about this very, very important topic that I think affects a lot of people these days. You bet. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. It's time for another break. When we come back, another question from a listener currently in a toxic workplace. You're not going to want to miss that. Stay tuned to me, Leanna Kersner on It's Not Therapy. Back after this. The following program is a peer-to-peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. We're back on It's Not Therapy talking toxic workplaces and question from another email questioner. Questioner? We gotta find another word seeking advice or I don't know I didn't know that we'll workshop it it's all good 289-275-9600 if you want to ask a question or email me liana at nottherapyshow.com or twitter instagram at nottherapyshow okay here's the question from somebody who wants to remain anonymous some people don't even want to give their first name okay dear liana I work in an abusive workplace. The person in charge makes everyone feel like their work is garbage and they could be fired tomorrow I should say that this group is the most talented and capable I've ever worked with, but the continuous personal and professional insults have eroded everyone's sense of confidence. We can't go to HR because HR won't keep the complainant's identity secret. In theory, the manager is not allowed to take any retaliatory action against the complainant, but we all work on contract and there doesn't need to be a reason given for not renewing our contracts. How do I regain and maintain my sense of confidence in this environment? All right. Um, Thanks. Thanks, questioner. Thank you for your question, questioner. Um, I need to start doing the Dear Abby thing and, you know, so-and-so in Wisconsin or something like that, you know, stuck at work, whatever. No, none of this is working. Move on. Regaining and maintaining confidence is tough. There are still things about myself that I question because of previous toxic environments that I've been in. You're never the same after one of those experiences, but you can feel a lot better than you do right now. 
My experiences with toxic environments are the inspiration for my top 10 phrase, don't let problems that aren't your fault lead to mistakes that are. That phrase, don't let problems that aren't your fault lead to mistakes that are, became my mantra when I just wanted to give in to the toxicity and take the low road. I knew I'd regret that if I did it. So I developed these catchphrases to tell myself, just, just keep the resolve. Don't break. Not yet. Right? You're working in what Dr. Paul White called a sick system with a toxic leader. And that's why your confidence is getting destroyed. Toxic leaders are all about them. And the people who work for them are just resources. And it sounds like, you know, your boss is treating you and your colleagues like an inherently expendable resource. And that's a really awful way to treat people, right? Now, it sounds like you get along with your colleagues. So Paul's suggestion of a bubble of health is probably a good place to start here. Work with your colleagues to boost each other's confidence, confidence, confidence and morale by providing honest praise wherever you can. Make sure everybody is regularly reminded of what they're good at, what their strengths are, every good thing. Try to make it as big a deal as possible, right, to, to balance out the crud. And if everybody can sort of be on the same page in terms of making space for people to talk about when things really have them down, that'd be good too. But I'm a bit cautious. Actually, I'm a lot cautious suggesting that in toxic environments. Because a lot of toxic environments tend to be filled with people pleasers. And if even one of them cracks and starts trying to please the toxic boss... That people pleaser will throw the rest of you under the bus to please the toxic boss. Because the toxic boss is the only one that matters in the world of the toxic boss, right? So the rest of y'all are expendable. Paul's right. First and foremost, protect yourself. Toxic work environments are especially bad to anyone who shows leadership that isn't the toxic boss. So in this case, being the hero of your own story is playing ghost style, not samurai. Yes, that was a Ghost of Tsushima reference for the gamers listening. So yeah, try to be teams, do those co-op missions, support people when you can, but just please be careful. Don't Gandalf, you shall not pass, you know, sort of this one. Ghost it. Sneaky, right? My next bit of advice is adapting another bit of Paul's advice regarding documentation. Yeah, document the problems. But document your successes, the things you're proud of. Keeping track of even the tiniest wins is a great way to build back self-confidence. In fact, it's the best way I know of. The brain is great with retraining and repetition retrains the brain. I repeat, repetition retrains the brain. <laughs> Keep a journal if you can, or even voice notes, but a journal's better because it's easier to flip back through, right? Keep a journal of stuff you felt you did right. If you commute on like a train or a bus, you can just jot stuff down then. Ideally, 
three things every day, at least three things every day. Write them down, just document them. They don't have to be big. You know, not taking the bait with something, supporting a coworker, writing a line you thought was funny, something clever, even just going into work when you're dreading it. That's an accomplishment. That's something you did right. That's a success. In the language of happy math, documenting your successes is showing your work. My high school math teacher, Mr. Schifrin, drilled into us that if we showed our work in math, he could give us partial marks, even if we made a mistake somewhere. But if all we did was write down the answer and it was wrong, he couldn't give us any credit for what we did right because we didn't give him anything to, to grade, right? We didn't give him any rights to give us part marks for. Documenting even small achievements lets you go back and read things day to day, how they felt to you. You know, what you knew was right and true in those moments. So you can get the marks for that even when your toxic boss gives you a failing grade. Make sense? This is especially important when you're keeping record of worse workplace abuse. Documenting is great advice. It's, it's, I highly recommend it. I, I swear by it. But this sort of documentation can be draining and depressing. So keeping track of positives as well as the negatives can help balance that out. And this may sound like a lot of documenting, but each task, it's only a few minutes a day, right? And that's not much when you consider that it's your peace of mind on the line. The other thing I highly recommend is scheduling self-compassion periods. There's this pressure to constantly be busy. But when your sense of self, when your confidence is being eaten alive, you very much need the moments to reconnect with yourself as a person. Just take some time to do something you enjoy for the sake of enjoying it. It can mean so much. It's basically going, hello, self, you're still a human being who matters, right? <laughs> like those little moments, the me time, it matters. We're really bad as a culture at treating people like human beings who matter. We tend to lean towards commodification of the human experience. We're also obsessed with all these other identifiers, right? That get in the way of the identifier is human. You know, there's all this other noise going around that people can't hear you going, hello, person here, right? And, and that's when you really got to be on team you, right? As Paul said, keep your resume up to date. That constant sense you mentioned of I'm going to get fired, we're going to fire you. That's designed to induce that sense of desperation Paul referenced. I know that feeling well. <laughs> and I finally got so sick of feeling that way at this one job I was at. I eventually made getting fired. It was going to happen eventually. It was an eventuality in my head. So I started looking for other gigs. I started exploring other projects. I decided that every extra paycheck I got out of those fools was a victory. Yeah, I sound like, you know, Dr. Doom or Skeletor right now. Like, it's a victory, you know, but it worked. That thinking, that game 
of all right every week i hung on right was it was a victory that allowed me to be the hero of my own story even though i just referenced two villains hey dr doom's cool man skeletor's cool fight me <laughs> basically what i'm doing is changing the narrative from i'm gonna get fired i'm helpless you know to strike me down and i will become more powerful than you can ever imagine right i just went from skeletor to obi-wan kenobi i know but it, whatever it's a mashup okay follow me what this is to get technical is an adaptation of the classic greek stoic practice of what's called memento mori which is literally remembering the inevitability of death what yeah hear me out okay it's completely counterintuitive to take comfort in your own mor mortality. But sometimes it's exactly the right move, right? Especially when it comes to these little like mini deaths in life, right? Because with the job, you know you've got that next chapter. So you're like the nameless one in one of my favorite games ever, this game called Planescape Torment. It's a video game where the main character, he dies multiple times and he comes back. So in, in some, you know, really important moments, he carves notes into his own back. So when he wakes up in the mortuary again, he has a cheat sheet for his next life, right? And you can use that as sort of a metaphor for just, you know, planning ahead. These little deaths in life happen. They are inevitable. They are the end of this stage. They're not the end of the world. So every month, put away a bit of money. You know, because, you know, I mean, hey, if it works out great, you got savings. But if it doesn't, you've you've got more of a cushion. Look for jobs every so often when you can, you know, get your resume in order. Start planning your next move. Like Paul said, get make sure those skills are up to date. You could even start trying to predict exactly how your boss is going to be a jerk. All these things allow you little extra bits of self-control, senses of control, right? Little extra bits of that feeling of control, which is what abusive bosses rob you of. It's a, it's a game of chess, right? Sometimes you have to sacrifice some pieces to win the game. And at this point, I'm just mixing metaphors for the hell of it. I think you get the idea. Anything you can do to make a game of your experience so that you're thinking instead of reacting out of panic, the better. Minimize that sense of desperation. And remember, you have this show to write into whenever things get tough. And if you want to write in or call in 289-275-9600 to leave a message, Leanna at nottherapyshow.com for email or at nottherapyshow on Twitter and Instagram. And it is time for another break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up the show with some final thoughts on staying sane at work, even when it makes you crazy, on It's Not Therapy. Because remember, early this time, your crazy is only a problem if it's hurting you. Back in a bit. The following program is a peer-to-peer -peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. 
We're back in the closing moments of It's Not Therapy, and I got a question just as I was about to close the show, so I'm going to sneak it in. This question is from Lawrence. Lawrence says, Hi, Leanna. I once had a boss that trashes everybody behind their backs. In particular, he badmouthed just about every one of my coworkers. Somehow, he also knew everything about everybody. It seems to be an open secret that this boss was like this. I had even talked to another of the bosses, and she told me that she was aware of this. Do you have any advice to share on how to survive a workplace environment like this? Thanks. Oh, Lawrence, do I hate workplace gossip. I hate workplace gossip because workplace gossip works, okay? It's a display of status, but it also creates a false intimacy because there's two parts to gossip, right? The gossiper and the listener and the collusion that goes on with it forms this false bond. But that bad-mouthing is also creating tensions between coworkers, right? Like you said, talked about everybody. And then you feel uncomfortable if you're a mature grown-up because now that you've heard this, what do you do about it? Well, you do nothing, okay? If someone's gossiping to you, they're very likely to also gossip about you. So don't spread the gossip. Don't give the gossiper anything personal about what they can spread. Your boss, or as I call them, bossips, could just be immature and loose-lipped. In which case, saying something like, was I supposed to hear that or should I forget it? That might be enough to take the hint. But bosses who badmouth are bad bosses, period. End of story. Bossips, bossips, okay? First time you hear that the boss said something negative about you, it should be from the boss. It sounds like this particular bossip was a known commodity, so it might mean that other supervisors ignore him. But why did he know everything about everyone? Was he making it up? Did other people talk? Who knows? Those are awful places to work. The only thing you can do is gently make it clear that you don't participate in that kind of thing. I try to respond with positive comments when someone's being negative. So if your boss criticizes a coworker's analytical skills, respond with a positive comment about, you know, say her responsiveness to clients, right? Some advice columns suggest that you confront a bossip. I think this is a terrible idea. People who badmouth usually do it because they're terrible at handling criticism themselves. So if you say, I don't like that, they're going to feel criticized. They're just going to badmouth you as a preemptive strike. What you can do is minimize the time you spend alone with a bossip or any other workplace gossip. And don't give the bossip any ammo against your colleagues. Like that's imperative. Don't join in. We slip up with things like that, but try not to complain. Try not to agree. Be positive about the skills of others. So be positive to them, right? Not just to the bossip, but be positive. Praise your coworkers because that means they're less likely to dish dirt about you. People who have good feelings about someone don't badmouth them. But the best advice, Lawrence, is what you did. Get out. Gossipy workplaces are usually sinking ships. And even if they're not, even if they're effective on the outside, they're draining. They wear people out. Thanks so much for your question. I tried to get it in quick. Next week, I'm off because there's a Hamilton Ticats game in this time slot. But I'll be back the week after 
to talk about what it truly means to be reasonable and rational. It's not gossip. <laughs> reasonable and rational next week. Until then, I'm Leanna Kirsner. I am not a therapist and you're crazy is only a problem if it's hurting you. See you next time.